Hi there. I'm Cindy Linden, and this is a cook-along podcast. I am so excited today because, you guys, I found a new cookie recipe. Now, you may know how I feel about cookies. Uh, you'll find more cookie recipes on my website than anything else. That's the cookalongpodcast.com if you want to go looking up cookie recipes. This one I was attracted to for three reasons. First, it's a shortbread cookie. I really like shortbread cookies. There's just something about that gentle, soft, sweet, buttery crunch that I just really love. And secondly, because it's got the word butterscotch in it, and butterscotch to me implies all kinds of warm, yummy, sweet, buttery flavors, and that's always a good thing. And the third thing is that I have leftover chips <laughs> of both the kinds. This asks for two kinds of chips inside the cookie. And I have been wondering how I was going to use what I have. And here they are. I can use them both in this one recipe. So that's pretty exciting for me because they're taking up space in cabinets and freezers. And now I get to make a cookie, which is my favorite stuff, with flavors I really love and use up two things from my storage at the same time. So score, that's all I'm saying. These are called butterscotch shortbread cookies. It makes apparently 48 cookies. That seems a little extreme to me, but that's what it says. Here are your ingredients. One and three quarter cups all-purpose flour one half cup cornstarch, a quarter of a teaspoon salt, one cup, which is two sticks of unsalted butter. And here's your first do ahead. You have to get it out and soften it. And I haven't done that. Dang it. Okay. So, hmm. And it's actually in my freezer. Well, I may try to microwave it a little. We'll play with that in a minute. Half cup powdered sugar, See, I just got so excited about the recipe that I just sort of dashed in to start making it. And, you know, that's why I mentioned the do-ahead, so that you don't do that. So, once again, do as I say, not as I do. Um, where was I? Half cup powdered sugar, one half teaspoon vanilla extract. And I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to cheat a little bit on that because I think extra vanilla in here is going to be fabulous. And I'm going to use... Penzi's Double Strength Vanilla, which is my favorite vanilla stuff for any time when you want the taste to be prominent. And then you need, and these things you may not have, but I do, half cup of butterscotch chips and a half cup of toffee bits. Toffee bits might be a new thing for you. We may not know about them, but Heath makes them and they are Available in your baking section, just where the chocolate chips and stuff are. And there are two kinds. One has milk chocolate around it. So essentially, it's a Heath bar that's all broken up. It's probably the bits and pieces, the ends, the remnants. That's it. The remnants of when they make the candy bars. This is the ones that didn't turn out right. So they, so they sell them in bags as tiny bits. That's my guess. They also make a second kind, which doesn't have the chocolate around it. It's also chopped up little bits, and sometimes recipes call specifically for that. And they're, at least around where I live, a little harder to find now than the ones that have the milk chocolate on them. The other do-aheads are kind of way do-aheads, but I'll tell you about them anyway. One is to preheat your oven to 350, 
but I wouldn't do that yet because this is going to have to chill for a couple of hours. The other one is to line a baking sheet with parchment paper and ditto with that because we don't need that yet. We're not going to be able to bake these for a couple of hours. So we're going to do this podcast in two stages, the before refrigeration and the after refrigeration. Okay. And then the equipment, you need a medium bowl. You need a separate second bowl that goes on your mixer, or if you don't use a stand mixer, it's a big enough bowl that you can use your hand electric mixer and mix things up. You need some plastic wrap, because we're going to wrap the dough to put it in the refrigerator. And like I said, then you need the parchment paper or the baking sheet. And then generally, it's good to have a wire rack, something to cool the cookies on after they come out of the oven. Okay, so here I am now, stuck with the butter problem. Like I said, mine's frozen. I don't use unsalted butter all that often. Most cooks do, just because it allows them to control how much salt is in something. I have to confess, I really like salt, so a lot of the time I just kind of pretend I don't need unsalted butter and just use the salted kind. But this uses a lot of it, and so I am going to have to use unsalted butter as recommended, and it's frozen because I buy it when it's on sale, and then it sits in my freezer until I need it. But I didn't plan this ahead. So I'm going to give this a shot. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll tell you, and then I'll go away because there's no point in your standing around and listening to me do it. I got two sticks in my hand of completely frozen unsalted butter. I'm going to put them in my microwave which I know I have to be very careful of. Sometimes I soften cold butter from the refrigerator completely successfully by putting it in my microwave and putting the power on two and then setting it for about 20 seconds and then I turn it over upside down the other way and I set it on two again and I do another 10 to 15 seconds and it comes out perfectly usable, not melted, not pooling in the middle, nothing, perfectly fine. Frozen is a little trickier, I've found. So I'm going to go play with this. I'll be back in a few minutes while you assemble your ingredients. If you have regular unsalted butter that's not frozen, but it's still a little hard, you could try that trick I just told you. Or you could stick it down inside your bra if you've got one and see if that softens it up. I'll be back in a bit. Okay, if you have frozen butter, I put two sticks in my microwave. When I took them out, I can tell they're starting to soften in the middle, and that concerns me because they're still kind of hard at the end. So what I've done (laughs) after that process is I've stuck one stick of butter inside its wrapper, okay, in each of the front pockets of my jeans. So that's where they are, getting soft, ready to go. See, you have all kinds of resources you may not have thought were cooking apparatus. (laughs) Meanwhile, while that's softening, we can do some stuff with the dry ingredients. I am not going to preheat my oven yet because it seems silly to me to have it on for two hours while we do this cooking. So in the medium bowl, and medium is anybody's guess, always, I have no idea what that means. We're going to put some flour. It's interesting to me that they do not say that you need to sift this flour. I think I'm going to take them at their word on that because if you don't have to sift, why sift? But, but 
What are Cindy's rules about using flour, especially in baking? First, we have to aerate it. So stir it all up. I don't care what kind of container you got, but stir it all up so that you can feel that really heavy, dense stuff is getting mixed up. And the stuff on the top in particular is light and fluffy. It compresses over time and you want to decompress it. That's what we're doing. And then using that spoon, spoon it into a measuring cup so that you're not just scooping it out of there, which also compresses it. it means you get too much flour and then your cookie is going to be dry and gritty. Once you get your cup filled, you just use that spoon you're using. Use the handle to scrape off level with the top of the cup and pour that in your medium mixing bowl. And then we need another three quarters of a cup done the same way. So that's the two rules. The first is to stir up the flour always and aerate it. The second is to spoon it into a cup. And then we're done with the flour. I keep a spoon in my flour, by the way. Sometimes I wonder why I don't have enough soup spoons because I forget it's in there. But it's just handy to have one that just lives in my flour canister. Now the cornstarch. We need a half cup of cornstarch. Which is a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Cornstarch, usually I use, you know, a teaspoon or tablespoon or something at a time. I don't know if I need to do this, but I'm stirring this up first as well. And then spooning it in because otherwise it's so fine. If you try to pour it, it's going to go all over your kitchen and up your nose and in your eyes. And, you know, it's just not worth that. Not worth it. So I'm using the same technique that I use in my flour with my half cup of cornstarch. (laughs) And it's going everywhere anyhow. But I'm spooning it in and leveling it off and then dumping it in with the flour. It's so fine. It sticks to the metal measuring cup here. Hold on. There we go. And then a little salt. Quarter of a teaspoon salt. That's such a little bit. And normally it would seem like not enough, but I'm going to have faith because, although it's a new recipe, I do feel as though the butterscotch and the toffee bits, those are both a little salty. Well, I don't know about the butterscotch bits, but the toffee definitely is. Any kind of toffee is made with butter, and so generally a little bit salty. Now we just use a spoon and mix those things together in this bowl. It's interesting to me. I use unbleached flour. Maybe that's why this is looking the way it is. But I was just going to say that the cornstarch is so much brighter white than my flour. I wonder if that's true of bleached flour as well. I'll probably never know because I don't buy bleached flour. It just seems like one step too many. I don't need it white. I just don't. I don't care. All right, now here we are already ready for the butter, and it's only been in my pockets a few minutes, and so I'm thinking it's not soft enough. Mm, Let me see. You know what? It might be. There's just a couple of hard parts. I'm going to try it. As you know, I'm not a patient person, and I'm more likely to just give something a shot than do the smart thing and take more time. I can tell that a lot of this is soft, By looking at it, it's perfect, but I just feel like on the ends it's still a little hard. We'll know shortly. The pockets, even though they weren't in there very long, it definitely made a difference in how soft these are. So those are going into the bowl that we use for the mixer. And we're going to put that in with the powdered sugar, which is a half a cup. I am not going to worry about it packing down because I don't want to have not enough sugar. So I'm just scooping this. 
and putting it in with the butter. Now, here's where we find out if the butter is soft enough. Because what we're going to do is cream it with an electric mixer. So I've got my handy-dandy KitchenAid here. I'm just going to start it really low because that powdered sugar is going to fly out into the air. Oh, it didn't. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, butter's a little hard. Well, I'm going to turn it up and hope that it does its thing. I can see that it's also catching clumps of it are stuck on the top of the beater. So during this, I'm going to have to also stop it and push it down into the bowl. You're probably going to have to stop and scrape down your bowl several times to get the butter down into the bottom where the beater can actually reach it. And again, here's something I'm going to do without you. When it says to cream this, it means we want it really fluffy. Eventually, you're going to move it up to a pretty high speed and just let it do its thing in there for a while. It's going to get really light and fluffy. You don't want to stop this too early. It's not just about combining the butter and the sugar. You really want it clearly fluffy and cloud-like. I think you'll know it when you see it. I'll put a picture of completely creamed butter and sugar on the website, which will be thecookalongpodcast.com, and then you can either look under my most recent recipes on the front page there, or you can type in butterscotch in the search bar, and it'll bring up the ingredient list and the photographs. So I'm going to go away and do that. I'm going to ask you to do the same, and when it's in that condition, come back to me and we'll do the rest. So now that the butter's all creamy and whipped up and excited, now we're going to start adding things. We're going to add the vanilla first. Like I said, I'm using Penzi's Double Strength, but any vanilla will do. And if you want, I suppose you could add a little extra. So this asks for a half a teaspoon, and I am using half a teaspoon of the Double Strength. You could try throwing in a little extra. I haven't made this before. So, who knows? I don't think it'll hurt it, though. And then we're going to mix it again, just for a minute, until it's all mixed in there. It doesn't really want to mix, so I'm going to have to scrape down the sides again. I guess, technically, what we're doing here is trying to mix oil and water, you know, fat and liquid, the butter and the vanilla, and so it's going to resist each other. But we'll get it. Here we go. Yeah, now the butter's turning this gorgeous sort of caramel color because of the vanilla. Very nice. Beautiful. What a lovely color that is. I'm scraping down the sides again because I think the next thing is to add the dry ingredients and we don't want some smeared up on the side. We need it to mix in. So let's see. Gradually add the dry ingredients. Stirring to combine. So we're not going to do a lot of rigorous mixing at this point. We're just going to turn the mixer on slow and add this flour stuff. And this is going to poof up primarily probably because of the cornstarch, which does that anyway. But I'm just tipping the bowl in just a little at a time and then using my finger to encourage a little flour at a time to go on in there to the mixing bowl. And it does, yes, get all over the side of the top of my mixer and... And I'm aware, and it always does that when I try to do this technique. 
and it's okay. It will wipe off later. All right, now it's all in there, and it's going to take a minute to get all of this to mix together. And we want it kind of stiff, because what we're going to have to do is roll it into a log and then refrigerate it. As that's coming together, let's measure out the chips. I just dumped my um, Heath chips into a half cup measure. This is the one with the chocolate on them. And it's maybe three quarters of the way full. So it needs a tiny bit more. And I just happen to have also some leftover of the regular toffee bits that don't have chocolate on them. And since that's already open, I'm going to fill it with that rather than opening another one of the kind with the chocolate. Now, once I have these open, I roll the top up so there's not going to spill, and I put a rubber band around it, and I keep them in my freezer so they won't go stale, and I pull them out when I need them. All right, this is looking pretty good. I'm going to scrape the sides down again. There's actually another do-ahead, which is no longer a do-ahead, because we didn't do it ahead, and now we have to do it, which is... So I'm still scraping here. Just give me a minute. Boy, it's really stiff. The butterscotch chips have to be chopped up a bit. So they're not huge and a ton bigger than the Heath ones. Oh, that's the cornstarch. <laughs> Don't know why I thought I was opening the chips. I reached for the cornstarch and unscrewed it. Oh my gosh, that would have been awful. Okay, so I have the butterscotch chips here. And I'm measuring out a half cup. Dang, it's not going to quite use them all. Ah, that makes me sad. I have like two tablespoons left here. Oh, my usual MO would have been to say just throw it in. But having not done this recipe before, I'm not comfortable doing that. It just means I have two tablespoons of butterscotch chips that we're going to sit here for another who knows how long. Now I am going to actually get a cutting board. I have these cool cutting boards that I first thought were just bizarre, and now I really like them. They're just kind of pieces of flappy plastic, translucent in different colors. So they're really thin, but you can cut on them. I don't imagine they have a very long lifespan, but the thing about them is that because they're just floppy pieces of plastic, they fold. You can roll them up and use them to just dump stuff in. I'm chopping these with a really sharp, large chef's knife. They need to be finely chopped. If you've already poured out your Heath chips, you can kind of see how tiny those bits are. And we may not need these quite that small, but we want them not to be huge. We don't want big bites of butterscotch chips. That's not the point here. The point is to sort of accent the flavor in the cookie without being all about the butterscotch chips. I don't think we'd like that. I used to love butterscotch, and I just don't do it very much anymore because it seems, I don't know, seems so rich and sweet. But I used to like butterscotch syrups in my coffee, and before that, my favorite flavor of pudding, it was instant pudding most of the time, but my favorite flavor was butterscotch. It probably still would be to this day, but I don't really eat puddings much anymore. Those were the Jell-O Instant Puddings. But I also, a couple of times in my hazy, faraway youth, made actual real, you know, stovetop from scratch butterscotch pudding. And my God, oh my God, that is amazing stuff. 
Now, of course, this is probably a rose-colored memory because it's been so long ago. I, it's before everything. I started to say it's before I was married. It's before I was. It's before everything. <laughs> I was just a kid, probably still living at home with my parents and doing my first cooking experiments. I don't know that I've made it since then, but it was really good. And it just didn't have any butterscotch chips in it. It was just uh, made from brown sugar and cream and stuff. Boy, it was good. This takes a while, this chopping business, because they try to escape from me. And I'm afraid I'm going to get a lot of just shavings and then other pieces that are probably larger than I really want them. This is kind of a lot of chips to chop up. Okay, well, I'm just now hunting out the ones that haven't had any chops at all. I don't want any whole chips here. That's the least I can do. Even if I can't continue chopping just because it's turning into shavings, I can at least get all the ones that are whole smaller than whole. Oh, honestly, I quit. I'm just done. Okay, I'm just done. I'm just done. Here I tell you about making them small and I'm going to give up. It's too much work. It'll be what it is. I have some really fine and some really not. And oh well. All right, so here's where I get to do what I was telling you about. So I've got this floppy cutting board and I can pick it up by both sides and it makes this sort of funnel because what we're going to do now is just add these into the dough, right? So I'm picking up my cutting sheet. I'll call it a cutting sheet and just dumping them in. It's the coolest thing. It's so easy. And then the Heath chips as well go in there. And then we're going to mix this up a little bit, just really slow. Oh, yeah. So the chips are down in the bottom, and the dough is up on the sides, and the dough is really, really, really stiff. <laughs> I mean, really, really stiff. Like, this takes serious muscles to get it to go down into the bottom. Well, it's sort of all down there, but I kind of think it's just going to come right back up again. But let's see. My mixer is laboring pretty hard here. And again, all the chips are still down in the bottom. I guess they're starting to incorporate a little bit. I'm going to scrape it down again. Oh, gosh. Mm. This time maybe I can scrape up some of this stuff on the bottom. I can get to part of it and scoop that up to the top. Let's see how that works. All right, one more time. All right, now I'm going to stop it where I can get to the rest. The other side on the bottom, scoop that up. It is so stiff. I'm using my my rubber spatula like it's a shovel, a, a trowel or something. <laughs> so I've scooped up the bottom, and I'm pushing down the top, and there we go. All right, eventually it does all incorporate. just takes a little effort. And then, and then there's a part that just, you know, it picks itself up into the mixer attachment here and then it just sits there and it goes around in circles without mixing anything because it's all stuck in the middle of the paddle thing. One last scrape and now I'm going to turn it on just low and let it do its thing here for a few minutes and I don't care what its thing looks like, it's just going to be its thing. And while it's doing that, we're going to get the plastic wrap out. We need a kind of a largest sheet is what I'm thinking. I'm using something from Costco, Kirkland Stretch Tight, which I think is the best. It's the stickiest. It's a little thicker. It's easier to use than many of them. It's one of the things Costco does right. 
if you're looking for it, it's called Stretch Tight, T-I-T-E, Stretch Tight Food Wrap. All right, this has all come together into a ball sort of now. And then we're going to dump that dough out of the bowl and onto the plastic wrap. Oh, it smells really yummy. It smells really butterscotchy. That can't be a bad thing. Now I've got this ball of dough plopped down on this sheet of plastic. And what we're going to do is form it into a log. It says about two and a half inches in diameter. That's pretty big. How do they think they're going to get 48 cookies if it's two and a half inches in diameter? You know what? You can't do this on the plastic. You have to do it on the cutting board. It just sticks to the plastic if you do it that way. So I'm flattening the ends a little bit so they're not going to be smaller than the rest. You know what I mean? It gets thinner at the end sometimes. And now, because I'm right next to my kitchen tool drawer, I'm pulling out, of all things, an eight-foot tape measure because I want to know what two and a half inches looks like. Oh, I've got it at two and a half inches. Once I got it to that two and a half inches, I'm going to say, well, you know what? I'll just measure it, and I'll tell you how long it is. Maybe that'll help you with your size. It is 12 inches long. So once you get it to 12 inches, it should be about two and a half inches in diameter. I hope that's helpful. And then we set it on the plastic wrap. We're going to just wrap it up, and we're going to stick it in the refrigerator to chill it so we can chop it later. It's going to be in the refrigerator for one to two hours. So we're done here for the time being, and this is a chance for you to go away and wash your dishes or read a book or watch a TV show, but no binging. We don't have time for binging. And I'll see you back here in an hour or two with your chilled dough log. All right, I'm back. It's been just about two hours for me, and this log of cookie dough is hard. I mean, really, really hard. Here, this is my cookie sheet. That's how hard it is. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do something a little different than what you might want to do. But the first thing, if you haven't heated up your oven, it's late and you need to do so right now. So I'm going to use my toaster oven because it's what I do. And this is the time to preheat it. And your preheating is at 350. Here's what I'm going to do. And you are welcome to join me in this. This is a trick I have learned so that I don't bake all the cookies at one time. Because a whole batch, especially of 48 cookies baked at one time, is a really bad idea in my house. I'm either going to eat them just because they're there, or I'm going to eat them so that they don't go stale. Or they're going to go stale. All of those things are bad. So what I'm going to do is take a nice sharp knife. Okay, first things first. Parchment paper has to go on the cookie sheet that you're going to bake on. I'm only going to bake a few because the rest are going in my freezer. Because I have learned that almost all cookie dough can just be stuck in the freezer for later. And you just pull it out one or two cookies at a time and stick them for me in my toaster oven. And that way you have the advantage of not having to have a whole batch of cookies that you feel like you need to eat. But also, it means that every time you have the cookies, they're freshly baked. So if there's chocolate chips in them, they're all melty and gooey. They're going to be warm and chewy. It's totally the way to go if you're not serving a crowd. Once the dough is ready, you just make it into individual cookies just the way the recipe says. But instead of baking them, 
you put them on a cookie sheet and you stick the cookie sheet in your freezer and let them get hard. And then you take them out of the freezer and throw them all together in a Ziploc bag with a baking instructions written on the outside of it. And there you go. This one today, we're going to slice a bunch of them and I am going to freeze them in sliced form, except for the few that I'm going to cook right now. It says quarter inch slices. All right, this is silly, but I just need to visualize that. So I'm pulling out my tape measure again. Quarter of an inch. Oh, they're really tiny. That's a surprisingly narrow slice. That's how they get 48. Well, take a really sharp knife. I'm using a chef's knife. But slices really nicely. That's good. Sometimes they crumble a little. There's still no way I'm going to get 48 out of this. It's not going to happen. Well, here, now I'm going to set... A couple on the parchment papered one I'm going to bake on. I'll do eight of them. There's nothing in them that's going to make them grow. I think they're going to just bake in this shape. They may puff up a little, but not very much. It's not like you have to space them really far apart, in other words, to let them expand, because they're not really going to. For the ones I'm freezing, I'm using what's known as a half baking sheet, which is sort of an extra, extra large cookie sheet. And I really kind of love it. It's very cool because it holds a lot. So if you're roasting vegetables or something, a half sheet is very excellent. They're all supposed to be spread out because otherwise they're just steaming and not roasting. And the half sheet here is really good for that. I also, back at Thanksgiving, went and got myself a full sheet. And that is majorly cool. They're huge. They're really big. But you know what? If you can find a place to store them, it also means... If it'll fit in your oven, you can bake a whole batch of cookies at one time. None of this back and forth and back and forth between the cookie sheets and the oven and getting the cookies off and putting them on the cooling rack. You can cook the whole batch at one time. I think that's really cool. I got them at Thanksgiving because I decided to spatchcock my Thanksgiving turkey this year. I feel like even if I'd really been meticulous about that quarter inch, I still wouldn't have gotten 48. So what have I got? 24 going in the freezer, 8 going into the oven, so 24 and 8 is 32, not 48. Well, now I'm looking back at the instructions here, and it does say to arrange the slices 2 inches apart. And I certainly don't have that on this sheet, and I'm not going to get that on this sheet, because I'm using a kind of a small pan. I'm not going to fuss over it. We'll see what happens. I'm just going to let it be. And if I make a mess, I'll tell you about it. The instructions say, arrange slices two inches apart on the parchment paper on the baking sheet. So now I have this tray of eight cookies ready to go in my toaster oven. Oh, I didn't turn it on. I set the temperature and then I didn't turn it on. There we go. I'm really fortunate in that it takes just a couple of minutes to preheat. And then this other larger tray of sliced cookies are going in my freezer. So I'm walking out to my freezer, which is in my garage case you hear any weird noises. I contemplated freezing the whole roll of dough and decided not to. And now I'm really glad because there are some cookies you can freeze the log and then slice them even though they're frozen. I think this would not be one of those. Trying to slice it frozen would be a fool's errand. I don't think they would cut. So the final instructions are that once they're two inches apart on your prepared baking sheet, They go into your 350-degree oven for 10 to 12 minutes until they're just lightly browned around the edges. 
it's a kind of a tricky thing to figure out because sometimes you can't tell if it's actually getting too brown or if it isn't brown at all, particularly since they start kind of tan, it's a little tricky. But it's probably better to undercook them than overcook them. So air on the side of really lighter brown, 10 to 12 minutes. And then after you take them out, you're going to leave them on the cookie sheet for two minutes before you try to take them off that cookie sheet and move them to your cooling rack, your wire rack, whatever you've got to let them cool down. I hope these are really good. I may be the only one who likes them. I don't know how anybody in my house feels about butterscotch. I guess I'm about to find out. I hope that you will try these out along with some of my other cookies on the website. Cookies are my favorite thing. Oh, there are my ovens ready. Here they go. They're going in. There are a lot of cookie recipes. There are a lot of fun dessert recipes. There are a lot of good things. I'm setting this for 10 minutes. You always just do it at the minimum amount first, okay? So if you need to add more, you can. But always check at whatever recipe says is the shortest amount of time. Check it at that point. Someday I'll be able to finish the sentence here, which is that there are a lot of great things that you can make with me that you'll find on the website. You'll also find them all on whatever your podcast app is, because I'm on all the typical podcast platforms. You can find me under the Cook Along podcast. You can find me on YouTube. That's just audio, not video. You can message me on Facebook and follow me on Facebook. I post recipes every day, or at least I have been. I don't know if I can keep doing that, but I have been. You can also contribute to the making of this podcast by visiting my Patreon site, patreon.com, and then look for the Cook Along podcast. Or if you just want to do a one-time contribution just because you like something I said, or you learned something from me, or you really like a recipe, you can do that through your Acast app if you're listening on Acast. It's a supporter link, and it says, help frost the cake. So until next time... Enjoy cookies, enjoy life, enjoy food, and happy cooking. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can make a contribution through the supporter link on every Cook Along podcast page or go to Kofi, ko-fi.com slash the Cook Along podcast. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening.